Several years ago, the Learning Channel had a reality TV show called Junkyard Wars. And uh, they, would, they would get this, this team, these two teams of people together. And you, usually there was like an electrician and a welder and an engineer and an artist, you know. And they'd have like these teams of four people and there would be a competition to see who could build something to accomplish a specific task out of the junk in a junkyard. And they had to make this thing that worked out of a bunch of stuff that didn't. And it was, it was a great show. I loved it. It made for great TV. It makes for lousy theology. We're going to talk about that today. But speaking of great TV, I have a little bit I want to show you. Check this out. Ahoy, you chapel rock scallywags. The great season of fall is upon us, and that means three things. Leaves be a-changing, weather be a-coolin', knock on me wooden leg, and most important of all, candy! <laughs> so here's the deal. There's a particular holiday around the corner. Realize it may not suit some of your fancies. Some of you it might. Nonetheless, the fact remains. Kids need sugar! <laughs> and parents need a break! <laughs> Amen? So me and my mates, we dug deep through the sands of time for a solution, and boy, did we strike gold. It's a little something we call trunk or treat. You see, we've been searching and loving far and wide for the greatest treasure of all, to see the whole community whole in Christ. And with that in your thick skulls, here's your mission. Just before dusk on, you make sure your fannies are right here on the poop deck. Start rummaging for all the booty you can find now, you know, the, the sweet stuff we pretend is for the kids, and throw it aboard the treasure chest stationed by each of the main entrances. And now, pay close attention. Look me in the eye. This one, right here. You and your mateys start dreaming of the theme of your trunks. Now, while you're supposed to be listening to the message, that's <laughs> captain's orders. Dream of your trunk, and then get some junk for that trunk. And then, for heaven's sake, get into character and dress the part. So, if you're frozen, come as Elsa. If you're Christmas, be an elf. And if you're Chick-fil-A, be a cow. You get the picture. We want to be a blessing to all this neck of the woods and point them to the good captain of all. And so we want to see a mighty, mighty fleet of trunks in our beautiful parking lot seas. No matter who you are, there's something for you to do. So come join in on the free, the fun, the fall festivities at Chapel Rock. No doubt, trunk or treat shall shiver your timbers. For more information, please pull out that tiny television in your pocket and follow the link right here or here. And while you're doing that, and I'm making me great escape, you try to say toy boat ten times fast. Danger afoot. Gotta go. <laughs> I love that guy. That is awesome. Um, great TV, right? Uh, Junkyard Wars was great TV. But, but a lousy approach to theology. Um, and by the way, I just want to take a second in light of the video and just thank everybody, all those, the helpers who worked out with our fall party this past Friday night. We had a blast. I don't know. Thank you guys. I just, if you helped out with that at all, we're grateful. It was so much fun. Um, when, when both the pastor and his wife get hurt at a church party, that's a good party, right? So, uh, and that's, that's what happened. Um, we're starting a new sermon series today called Junkyard Theology. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at ideas that people believe that I would call junk theology. It's, it's broken. It doesn't work. All right? Um, 
So we're going to start today with the doozy. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Those here in the room, grateful that you're here. Uh, I I hope that this series will strengthen your faith and equip you to give a reason for the hope that you have, especially to people who might have bought into some of these ideas that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Today we're starting off with a big one. I consider this fair warning. I am probably going to step on your toes at some point this morning, okay? Just shot across the bow. You need to know this. I'm probably, I'm an equal opportunity offender. And because I don't care what side of the issue you land on on this, I'm probably going to push on you a little bit, all right? So I'm just, fair warning, hope you wore your steel-toed boots to church. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about this often repeated sentiment, everything happens for a reason. How many of you have heard that? Online people, you can type me in the chat, right? We, we've all heard this, right? Uh, and, and I wanted to do this one first because I think it's probably one of the most commonly held bits of junk theology, and also because um, if I make you mad, I'm leaving town later this week, and, you know, uh, who cares? Uh, no, I, <laughs> it is true. Um, I want to ask you to add a couple, a few things to your prayer list. We've got a couple families in our church uh, family right now that are in grief. Um, please be in prayer for the Wilson family. Uh, Denise lost Dave this week. Um, he passed away. Uh, and so I want to let you know that uh, his uh, visitation and funeral this coming Tuesday at Flanner Buchanan on High School Road and Speedway. The visitation is from one to uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The funeral's at one, uh, that's Tuesday. And then also uh, Jane Hessong passed away unexpectedly. Um, uh, Friday night or Saturday morning early, I think. Um, so be in prayer for the Wilson and, um, and Hessong families. I would also ask you to pray for Debbie and I. Uh, we're leaving. Um, Early next Sunday morning, headed to O'Hara Airport in Chicago to fly to Vienna, Austria, to be there for almost two weeks uh, to teach uh, with TCM. Uh, I'm teaching a graduate seminar on marriage and ministry. Having a good marriage is hard. Having a faithful ministry is hard. Having a good marriage while you're doing faithful ministry is really hard. And then what happens when you throw a war on top of that? So part of our purpose, and TCM has reached out to pastors and their wives who have done care for refugees from the war between Russia and Ukraine. And a lot of these, a lot of these pastors um, and their spouses are, are having to, I mean, they were already kind of pushing the red zone most of the time, and now they have got people in their communities who are fleeing war and destruction, and they're caring for those folks. Um, and so we're going to kind of serve the servants and, and equip them and, and talk about what this means. And it's a, it's a really great opportunity. We were super excited about it. Emma is going to come up and watch her little siblings and take care of them uh, while we're gone. That's, that's great. So we'll get a couple, um, you know, days with the grandchild before. <laughs> Aren't you proud of me for not blitzing you with pictures every single week? Aren't you? Isn't that? <laughs> yeah. Not that I could. I uh, couldn't. But um, so just would you pray for us because... Originally, it was just going to be couples who who are in ministry together, speak English, and then we found out that one of the other professors had a very negative health thing and can't make it, so I'm getting his students, and they speak Russian. So we we went from English speakers to now live translation in the class. 
Um, we're trying to show radical hospitality there, and I've got friends who are, maybe you saw this Facebook post, helping me have Russian on the screen, uh, at least for the slides, uh, to, to, to do that. But please pray for us this week, for safe travel, for effective service, um, and that ultimately we would, we would resource these people who I would argue are on like the front lines of the kingdom. Can we take a second and pray? Lord, thank you for today. We're grateful for the, the, the chance that we have to gather together in freedom and peace and safety without threat of war or persecution. And um, we're grateful, Lord, for that. And we pray that you'd help us use that for your glory. Uh, we pray you'd be with the Wilson and Hassong families in their grief. Lord, your word says that you comfort those uh, with the comfort that we, we get from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help um, people step into uh, their lives and, and provide comfort for them, God. Um, we thank you for the way that you have uh, moved in us and through us to accomplish your will uh, in the world. We pray that Trunk or Treat uh, could, could help us connect with families uh, who need to know you here in our community. And, and Lord, most of all, we pray as we lean into this um, difficult subject today that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth that you have for us in your word. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The idea that everything happens for a reason uh, is a really commonly held belief. And generally, it gets trotted out when a good-intentioned, well-meaning person is trying to comfort someone who's going through a hard time. Like, that, their purpose is good. Their intentions are right. They are trying to be helpful. It also can function like an emotional lifeline for you if you're going through a crisis, right? When things are really hard, sometimes people will tell that to themselves, right? The, the inner conversation that you have in your mind, like everything happens for a reason. God's, got a, God's gonna do something here. He's gonna do something with this and it's gonna be okay. And, and we can tell ourselves that in a, a crisis. And so because of both of those situations, good-hearted, well-meaning people who are trying to do the right thing, and, and, and even in our own situation where we're like, this is really hard and I don't like it, because of both of those things, right? I, I know that what I might say this morning may come off as abrasive. I don't mean it that way. I, I'm not trying to be cruel. In f what, what I would call cruelty is lying to you. That's cruel. Not telling you the truth. Letting you believe a lie. Letting you believe something that's not helpful. That's cruelty. So out of love and a heart for you to, to know the truth as your pastor, I, I want to, to speak truth to you this morning. Okay, and to me, this, the truth is that everything happens for a reason doesn't work. It's junk. It belongs in the junkyard, and I want to tell you why today, okay? So where does this idea even come from? I mean, let's, let's back up a little bit. Where do we even get this? I think in most cases, it's a misunderstanding of Romans 8.28. Look at this with me. It'll be up on the screen. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And for many Christians, they'll, they'll quote that verse, and they'll say, see, everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. You just need to suck it up and get through it. I don't think that's what Paul means in, in this verse. Let's be real clear about what it does not say. All right? Let's, first, let's define what it doesn't say. It does not say that God is going to keep you from suffering. Now, the King James translation, if that's how you know the verse, that's the NIV. If that's what you know, it kind of does. And maybe is isn't the best translation. I don't mind picking and choosing what's the best. In this situation, King James kind of falls apart there. Um, 
it does not say that God is going to keep you from suffering. If nothing else, consider the context. Seven verses later, we read this in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, if you're going to undergo trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, (laughs) if God's going to let you go through that, clearly he didn't keep you from it. So there's a seven-verse gap between these two things. So this idea that, that Romans 8.28 teaches that you're never going to suffer, it's just, it's just a, it's a misunderstanding of the verse. What Romans 8.28 actually says is, in everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God is continually working. Now let me press into that. Can I just get nerdy on you for just a second? In the original Greek language, that is a present active indicative verb. Indicative means it corresponds to reality. Active means God, God is the one doing the action, right? And, and present tense means it's continual, it's ongoing action. So it is a present active indicative. This course, God is continually working for the good of his people. Now there's a big difference between the two ways that that verse can be understood. The first means everything is always going to be okay. Mm, I don't know about that. The second means God never stops contending for his redemptive purpose to win out. That I'll believe. That makes sense to me. This verse, Romans 8.28, affirms first and foremost that God's sovereignty, his rule over the universe is way bigger than we can wrap our puny brains around. But it also affirms that God is continually engaged in trying to put things right that went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Right In the fall, capital F, not the season, what happened to us, Adam and Eve, forbidden fruit, all that, right? That when, when, when the creation just kind of went off the rails, that God has been working ever since then to put things right. God's goal in history is to get back what rightfully belongs to him. That would be us. God's goal is to put right what we messed up through our forebears in the garden and what we continue to mess up through our own sinful choices, So because of this, I believe that this idea of everything happens for a reason, I think it's junk theology. Let me give you three reasons why, all right? Three reasons why this idea, everything happens for a reason, is junk theology. And I have to begin with a quote from the noted and eminent theologian, Marilyn Monroe. Be patient with me. She said, I believe everything happens for a reason. People change so that you can learn to let go. Things go wrong so that you can appreciate them when they're right. You believe lies so that you eventually learn to trust no one but yourself. And sometimes good things fall apart so better things can fall together. Okay. Again, I promised you I'm probably going to step on your toes. I mean, if you like Marilyn, if you're a fan, whatever. How did that work out for her? Not so well, it turns out. Right? She OD'd on pills. She took her own life. Ideas have consequences. So this idea, everything happens for a reason. Here's, here's this, you know, starlet. Everyone looks up to Marilyn Monroe, right? Oh, wow, it's glamorous. Yeah, how'd that work out for her? Not so great. Three reasons why this is junk. 
Here's the first one, number one. It's not true. It's not true. To say that everything has a reason is different than saying everything has a cause. Those are not the same things. Everything except God has a cause. The theologians, the philosophers sometimes refer to God as the uncaused first cause. The the, the theologians will say there never was a time that God was not. God is eternal. It's who he is. He's always existed. Part of being the job description of being God, right? He caused everything to exist. God spoke, let there be light. There's light. Let, you know, let there be land. There's land. Let there be plants. There's plants. Let there be animals. There's animals. He's spoken into existence. God is the, the uncaused first cause. Everything does have a cause. That's different than saying everything has a reason. God causes everything to exist. He doesn't cause everything to happen. Much of the time when people say everything happens for a reason, they're making a vague reference to some mysterious plan of God that we can't possibly know. I don't know, maybe they're thinking of Isaiah 55 verse 9, right, which says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And maybe that's what they have in mind. I don't know, like maybe that's what they're thinking. This verse does not say that God causes everything to happen. It says that God operates at a level that our puny brains can't possibly wrap our head around. God is doing stuff. If if the Lord is going to wait for his return, if Jesus' return is not imminent, as many people think it may be, if that's hundreds or even thousands of years off, you need to understand there were 4,000 years of sacred history leading up to the time of Jesus, at least that we know of, right? Right? We're only halfway through that marker now. What if God intends for that to literally be the center point of human history? We're only halfway there. I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe it's a long way off. And if that's the case, God might be setting things up in your life right now that will have a payoff in 500 years. Whoa, right? This, this blows me away. And that's, I think, what, what Isaiah 55, 9 means. My ways are higher than your ways. God can function at a level that we can't even wrap our heads around. That doesn't mean that God causes everything to happen. That's, it's just not true. We'll come back to this in a bit. The second reason why this is junk theology is that it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Mainly, it's not helpful because I think it minimizes the reality of the pain that somebody else is feeling. And that's when you hear this most often, right? You hear it in crisis. Somebody will say, well, everything happens for a reason. And again, I believe their intentions are pure. I think they're trying to help, but it it really isn't helpful. (laughs) Let me ask you this. If if you have, okay, and maybe you have found this helpful. Maybe it's helped you. I, I hope to... Um, enrich your understanding of this idea today. I hope I can move you a little further down, down the, the theological path to, to a richer understanding of God's sovereignty. But I don't think this is helpful. And, and here's how I, let me ask you a question to prove my point. How come no one ever says this when stuff goes right? You never hear this when things are going well. Nobody came up to me on my wedding day and said, you know, Casey, everything happens for a reason. They might have told Debbie, no one said it to me, okay? Because I think we can all agree I got the better end of that deal, Um, right? No one says this when things are going right. 
I, I did a little Facebook poll this week. And I asked my Facebook friends, have you ever had someone say this to you? Everything happens for a reason. What was your response? At least 50 people responded, some in private messages. You know what? Their answers were shockingly negative. Like, a few people said, yeah, that was helpful. Most everyone was just like, oh, that hurt. That was so bad. One person said, someone said it to me, um, when I was 18 and my mom died of an illness. Another person said, they, someone said that everything happens for a reason to me when my one-year-old died in a car accident. <laughs> Y'all, it doesn't help. I get your motivations and intentions might be pure, and maybe for you occasionally that's been something that was helpful to you personally. I don't think it's helpful I'm going to say something next. It'll be on the screen. I want to make this affirmation as strongly as I possibly can. I'm going to intentionally keep my voice moderated. But please understand that if my soul is screaming this at the top of my lungs. We have a faith that is intellectually coherent. It is emotionally vibrant. It is physically present and it is spiritually satisfying and it does not need junk theology to make it helpful. It already is. So when you say everything happens for a reason, you're not helping. You're not helping anyone and you're not winning anyone. That's the third reason this is not helpful. That's the third reason this is junk, rather. It's not winsome. In Ed Stetzer's book, Lost and Found, The Younger Unchurched and the Churches That Reach Them, he spends a fair amount of time talking about the millennial generation and how they reject pat answers that don't seriously look at life's issues. I can only imagine that Gen Z, my kids, right, most of them at least, I've got two millennials and the rest of them are Gen Z, that's even more so, it's even more the case for Gen Z. When the church tries to gloss over the most difficult questions in life and answer them with trite platitudes, we're essentially telling these young people, hey, uh, your problems make me uncomfortable and I wish you'd just be quiet. That is unacceptable. That must not be allowed to stand. It turns off at least the bottom two generations in our culture. They see Christians being not real about life's problems, and for that reason, they're leaving the church, and many of them are leaving the faith. And so if you've ever wondered why I preach PG-13 sermons and why I go to these places that are uncomfortable and I force you to confront issues that require some nuance, it's because I absolutely refuse to give up on two whole generations in our country. Jesus loved them and he died for them. And so yeah, we're going to press into these hard places and we're going to talk about hard things because sometimes life is just hard. And one of the things that I consistently hear from our newer families is how they appreciate it when we dive into these hard issues. We have a winsome faith that can answer these hard questions. So when we try to soothe hurting souls with this platitude, everything happens for a reason, we find it's just junk. It's not true. It's not helpful. It's not winning anybody. So what do we do? Well, I think you have to lean into the tension. 
you lean into the tension. There are really a couple of them. There are two tensions, I think, that clarify this issue. Now, I know for some of you, when I say this, you're like, oh, Casey, I don't need any more tension in my life. A pa- hard pass. Like, I don't want that, all right? Hang on. There are some tensions that are good. Your car won't go anywhere without tension, right? The belts in the engine all have to have a certain amount of tension for you to go anywhere. Too little, they just spin. Too much, snap, they don't go anywhere. So there, sometimes tension can be really good. It can propel you forward, okay? So there are two tensions, I think, that clarify this issue. Here's the first one. Number one, God is not a bully, but he's still in charge. God is not a bully, but he's still in charge. Um, so how does that work? Well, what we're talking about here is God's sovereignty. And I want to deal with the issue of how God can be sovereign and we can still have free will. That's kind of the tension that we're talking about here. God is not a bully, but he's still in charge. So here's a truth that I want to encourage you to write down. For you note takers, you can write this down. Uh, If you tend to use your phone for this purpose, I see sometimes people put their phone up and get a picture. You might want to grab this, okay? Um, Here's the truth. Just because God allows something doesn't mean he causes it. Just because God allows something doesn't mean he causes it. And and there's a, a nuance here that I think we need to press into. Let me give you an example, and this, this might be like, okay, that's yeah, the standard example. Well, it's the, th- the standard example because it works, and it makes sense, right? So everybody in your house, you probably have a stove, a cooking, you, cooking appliance of some kind. I don't know if it's gas, electric, whatever, but you, you've got an oven or a stove, right? And it gets hot, and when your kids are little and they're curious, because kids are curious, it, you don't have to train that in them, it just comes natural, right? They, it's glowing, it's red, they reach for it. What is that? And don't touch and in our house growing up, we would, hot, hurt you. You know, as simple as grammar as possible. Don't touch. You know, and we'll look away and get, keep going on dinner, and they'll reach for it again. Don't touch. Hurt you. And, 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 and maybe that'll happen again. Don't touch. Hurt you. Hot. Now, hurts for a little bit. Hurts for a long time. Maybe we're going to the doctor. So this is an act of love. But if they still are stubborn and they will not listen to correction, does that make me the cause of their pain? No. But you bought the stove. You turned it on. You left it where they could get to it. They are rebels. Every, every parent in the room is nodding, Evan, I'm sorry, but my son is right here, and all the adults are like, yeah. I tried to stop them. I tried it. I did everything I knew to do. Do you want to eat? Yeah, okay, well, we got to have a stove. The Bible teaches that when the universe was broken in the fall, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, forbidden fruit, all that stuff, a new set of natural and supernatural laws went into effect. And God, as the author of those laws before creation was broken, is also the author of those laws after creation was broken. God, in his sovereignty, is the author of all of them. And Romans 8, 20 and 21 says this, creation was subjected to frustration. Some translations use the word futility. Not by its own choice, right? But by the will of the one who subjected it, that would be God, in hope 
that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Here's the point. God is so sovereign, he's not threatened by your choices. He authorized authorized you to be able to make them. And at the fall, his righteousness demanded that he rewrite the way the universe works so that his redemption could be accomplished. God allows things, sometimes bad things, to happen because that's the natural order and outcome in a broken universe. And his intention in all of that is to redeem it, to put it back the way it's supposed to be. So sometimes people, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Romans also says there's nobody who's truly good except Jesus. Why do do these things happen? Well, sometimes it's because the universe is broken and little kids have problems with them in the womb and and grown-ups have congenital stuff that comes out of nowhere and takes their life instantly. And, you know, someone, it, it slips and falls and gravity works every time and they go down. And sometimes people have too much to drink and they get in the car and they think they're okay and they're not. And somebody dies. Because we live in a broken universe. And when we're confronted with those hard things, this trite platitude just doesn't help. So, well, did God make it happen? No, he didn't make it happen. They chose wickedness. They rebelled against God's will. (laughs) See, what I'm describing here is the difference between passive sovereignty and active sovereignty. Let, let, me, let me define that a little bit. Passive sovereignty is what God has all the time, right? This is the idea that, you know, but the whole universe exists because God wills it, right? If God wasn't constantly willing the universe to exist, we'd all just blink out of existence. So the universe exists because God wills it. You know, the, the, the moon orbits around the earth. The earth orbits around the sun. They're both actually spherical and not flat. I, I know, I checked, I flew around the whole thing. Um... I'm just saying there's some debate out there. Uh, you know, it's the, the gravity works. When you woke up this morning, gravity was turned on. Like, it, it, this is the way God designed the world to work. That's, act, that's God's passive sovereignty. It just, it's always going on. But then there are, this, there are these moments of God's active sovereignty. He asserts himself in history. These are the miracles of Jesus. This is the call of Saul, also Paul, on the road to Damascus. These places where God breaks into history and and kind of reroutes stuff. That's him exercising his active sovereignty. And the problem is that some people only think in terms of passive sovereignty, or or rather, excuse me, active sovereignty. They think that everything fits into that. And, And it's this idea that everything that's ever happened was predetermined before the creation of the world because they only have one category in their head, and it's the active category. I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's what Scripture teaches and so because for them and that makes everything fit into this everything happens for a reason grid and the net result is it seems to make God's sovereignty more important than his redemptive purpose and I would say that God's active sovereignty functions under his greater redemptive purpose he chooses when to exert it or relinquish it based on his plan of redemption There are times that God can allow the normal order of things to take place. There are times that he breaks in and and, and makes something happen because he knows how the story ends. 
The funny thing is, I cannot think of one critical turning point moment in Scripture where God breaks in and does something awesome that human obedience wasn't also required at some level. I mean, just walk back through the Scriptures in your mind, right? Noah and the flood. He had to build the boat. He had to be obedient and do that, you know? Abraham, moving to the promised land. He had to pack and move. Moses, leading the people out of slavery, right? He could have ignored the burning bush. That's weird, and walked away, you know? They they could have seen the wall of water when they crossed the Red Sea and like, nope, nope, hard pass, no thanks. Well, I'll be a slave, thanks again. Those things could have happened, right? David could have looked at at Goliath and said, "Uh uh-uh, man, I just came to bring lunch. I am out of here. Jesus could have said, I don't really want to go through with this, Father. Every one of these great moments, these turning points in history, human obedience was part of the equation. There's a synthesis that happens between God's sovereignty and mankind's personal responsibility. Now, some of you are like, oh my word, where are we going with all this? Here you go. That's the theology, here's the application. Because only hindsight reveals whether or not what we're experiencing is active or passive, right? This actually makes us more aware of God's presence and more dependent on his leadership in our lives. Sometimes you you might have an inkling in the moment. You might like, ah, wow, this is really, like you could tell like God is doing something. Or maybe you'll have a notion in your soul to say to somebody like, hey, yeah, man, like why did this happen? That dude's wicked and he chose an awful thing. That's why this happened, right? Like sometimes you know in the moment, but usually it's hindsight. And so what this does in our own walk with God is this makes us more aware of God's presence. It makes us more dependent on his leadership in our lives. We listen to him better because we don't really know. If if we just always blame God for everything, you don't really have to listen to him, do you? This makes us lean into that relationship. So when you understand that you really are a moral free agent, you you lean more on God, that's what he wants from you anyway, right? That's the first tension, that God is not a bully, but he's still in charge. Here's the second one. Your life is not scripted, but you're part of God's redemptive purpose. Your life is not scripted, but you're part of God's redemptive purpose. Last week I saw an interview with actor George Clooney. He was talking about making the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? How many of you have seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Great movie. It was one of Clooney's best usually lands in like top 100 films of all time. Like it's in there usually. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. Um, but it was written and directed by the Coen brothers. And they kind of have a reputation in Hollywood. Like they, they, don't, they don't edit. They don't, once they write the script, that's what we're going to do. And Clooney even said in the interview, he said, they don't edit, you don't improvise. The script you get is the script you shoot. And I think some people think their lives are like that. They believe their lives are like that. Like, God has scripted your life before the creation of the world, everything you're ever going to do. Like, like, before God said, let there be light, he decided that Casey Scott would wear a blue plaid shirt on October 1st, 2023. Oh, come on. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. See, here's the tension. It's not scripted, but his purpose will win out. A powerful scripture that speaks to this is in Isaiah 46, verse 8. Look at this. It says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. 
from ancient times, what is still to come. That's an example of Hebrew parallelism for you Bible nerds. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Did you catch that? My purpose will stand. I will do what I please. But how does he begin verse 8? What's he call them? Rebels. What are they rebelling against? God's will. What he wants. Sometimes we wrestle with this. We say, nothing can happen that God doesn't will. Really? Have you ever sinned? He didn't will that. Otherwise, it would make him unjust in condemning you for it. If he made you do it, if you had no choice in the matter, it, God would not be just. But he is just. He is righteous. His plan is just. His plan is righteous. The point here is that your life is not predetermined. You're free to choose. And so you have to choose like Jesus would choose. Your life is not a script. You make choices that have real consequences. But God also has a larger redemptive purpose for us. If we, if we stay in Isaiah 46 for a little bit and skip ahead to verse 13, I, I want to show you this. Look at what God says in Isaiah 46, 13. He says, I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Do you get what he's saying? That God is continually resisting the effects of a broken universe, and he is, according to Romans 8, always working to bring good out of all of life's troubles that come with a broken universe. Most of all, God is always at work toward his ultimate purpose of a redeemed universe. God is always working toward his purpose of a redeemed universe. And that is a way more comforting idea than everything happens for a reason. So what do we do with this? Well, I think there are two applications here. The first is this. Please stop saying everything happens for a reason. Just stop. It doesn't work. It belongs in the junkyard. Even if you mean well, more often than not, it hurts the people you're trying to help. Um, and it alienates people who are struggling with the faith. And it's probably not even true. Instead, in situations where you might say everything happens for a reason, if you have to say anything at all, sometimes the best thing is just an arm around the shoulder and I'm here. Sometimes the best thing is... Right? You'd, you'd never be hurt by anything you didn't say. <laughs> but if you have to say something, say something like this. I believe that God will do everything he can to redeem this situation and he's already at work to do it. Because that's at least true. That's at least replicating what scripture teaches. The second application is in how we pray. So many times we pray to know God's will or for God to intervene in a situation and, and both of those prayers are fine and they're biblical and you should pray them. But could you, I think you should add something to your prayer. Yes, ask God to intervene. Yes, God, ask God to do a miracle. Yes, ask God to, to, you know, bring healing and wholeness to a situation. But what if we also prayed for God's redemptive purpose to define our lives more and more? What if we add that? Yeah, pray for God to change the situation, but add, and Lord, let your redemptive purpose win out in my life. Use me to accomplish your will in the world. Use me to bring wholeness and healing to the west side of Indianapolis. See, here's what I've been saying today, and we're done, right? When we understand the tensions in God's redemptive purposes, we can live with a confident and winsome faith that works. Instead of looking for some mysterious divine reason behind your suffering, look for the way that this can make you more like Jesus. 
My favorite statement on the issue comes from Tim Keller, now with the Lord, former pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He said this, Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like him. See, God's purpose for Jesus led him to the cross. But it also opened up the tomb. And so when you suffer, when you have to carry your cross, you need to know that on the other side of it is an empty tomb and a Sunday morning with hope and joy and life and peace. You, everything happens for a reason. Is a, is a weak and poor substitute for God is working his plan in your life and if you hang on to him tight enough, you get to see it. If you've never made a decision to do that, we're going to invite you to do it right now. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and I invite you to come to the front and name Christ as Savior and Lord, commit to being part of this fellowship, be part of the body of Christ, and continue to use your gifts and service here. Maybe today you need, you're going through something, you really want someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that. We'll have folks down front ready to, to greet you and pray with you today. Maybe you want to talk to one of our leaders, you can do that in the next step room. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing, and you respond as God leads you.